The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audiblepodcast.com slash arttrap. Over 75,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Podchock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Live from the O2 Arena's pub, concerning the Doctor, Sherlock Holmes, and Gene Hunt, it's Doctor Who Podchock. Doctor Who Podchock. Okay, well, let's do it now. I <laughs> Uh, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifreyan Embassy. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah, we blew that. <laughs> I'm the Doctor, and who are you? And who are you? The Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 235. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this special episode of Doctor Who Podshock and filling in for both Ken and James, whose schedule would not allow them to be here for this recording, is Mr. Dave A.C. Cooper. Hello, Dave. Where's Bully Lickers, Gene? <laughs> and uh, I won't answer. <laughs> and uh, also joining across the pond, also joining Dave and myself, is Mr. Graham Sheridan. So, Jamie, no, don't stick the so Oh, too late. He stuck the Sonic in the wrong place. <laughs> oh, my. Or I should say. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we're back, and I hope everyone's... Um, I want to thank you both. I know you guys both helped in our last episode, our uh, extra edition of Doctor Who Podshock. So I want to uh, thank you both for returning once again. I'm glad you guys didn't suffer too much, otherwise you wouldn't have been back. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're in the bar at the O2 Arena. <laughs> <laughs> well, we sh I guess we should explain that, because today, as we record this, uh, earlier today or earlier tonight was the National Television Awards in the UK, and Doctor Who was represented in that in a couple categories, mainly uh, I think it was Best Drama Series. Which, and Best Drama Performance. And Best Drama Performance. And unfortunately, it lost on both. It was the Best Drama Series went to Waterloo... What was Road. It? Ro Road, Waterloo Road. And then for Best Drama Performance... We had, well, you couldn't pick a loser because they were all winners. You had Matt Smith, Benedict Cumberbunch, Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I'm sorry. The, and Philip Glenister. <laughs> Philip Glenister and David Jason were all up for that. And, well, they were all, they're all connected in some way or another to uh, British sci-fi in any respect. So all of them, you know, would have been great but they had to choose one. And the one that they chose was not Philip Glenister. It was not Benedict Cumberbatch. It was not Matt Smith. David Jason won. And uh, his connection to British sci-fi is, uh, well, we just did an episode of British uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi, which we showcased Danger Mouse. He did the voice of Danger Mouse, but he also did a lot more than that. Yeah. Uh, the thing is that... Um He's looking towards retirement at the moment, so uh, a proper, that is, retirement proper. I mean, he's been in there a fair few years. So, yeah, it's a bit like the States there. I say, we was robbed, Gov, uh, <laughs> well, on both records. But, Matt you know. Smith is his first year as the Doctor. I'm sure it's not going to be his last. We know that for sure already because they're already shot, you know, part of the next series. So, um, Well, Triumph it would have been, though. <laughs> He'll be. Um, um, he has an opportunity to uh, win next year. Yeah, and of course, Ke uh, 
Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock has only had three outings in that character, so he's perhaps not got as great a following yet. And he's coming back, too. Indeed. So uh, the only one that's in question now is uh, Philip Glenister, who I don't think is coming back, right? The Ashes Ashes completed its run? The story arc is complete, yes. And the thing is, for poor Philip Glenister, he's always been up against Doctor Who. Uh, He's been nominated a couple of times, and uh, it does seem a bit of a disappointment that the fabulous, fabulous character of Gene Hunt that he brings to the screen and brings to life has not been honoured. And for those that may be wondering who Gene Hunt is, he's the character that was um, originated in Life on Mars, which also co-starred John Sim, who, if you're a Doctor Who fan, knows was the master most recently. It's a great series, Life on Mars. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. And I understand Ashes to Ashes is as well. And I, I that's still on my to-watch list. I still have to get around to that. So, uh, I mean, it's hard to improve on a series because I loved Life on Mars, but Ashes to Ashes it was just that that touch higher uh, in quality. Very weird, but it was. But only just. Well, certainly, certainly the third series was up there because it was a, a bringing together of the whole story arc of the two series, which is a very satisfying experience and uh, very, very watchable and certainly recommended by me. Yeah, it's highly recommended by everyone that I've spoken to, so I definitely need to kind of check it out. It's just um, it's just so, how, so many hours in the day to kind of watch TV. <laughs> yeah, and how to end a series properly... Um, <clears throat> well, be careful of spoilers. <laughs> Tips to RTD. That's how you end a series proper. Everything's tied up and there's no open loopholes that people look at and give it... Uh, uh, at, uh, <clears throat> end of time. <clears throat> end, <clears throat> yeah, uh, don't stop swearing. <laughs> well, uh, congratulations to David Jason and, um, well, and... We'll, we'll, we're having a nail with Matt Smith and Philip Glenister and Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that Graham had tweeted about earlier today that brought it to my attention, is that Ambassadors of Death, the DVD restoration, has been delayed, and it's delaying the DVD. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, despite the, the new computer and... Uh, machine that they've managed to get their hands on to help speed up the process it's still a rather laborious process and uh, probably what it looks like is they've uh, they've overreached themselves at the the time i mean it's not as if the dvd was supposed to be released within the next six months they were properly looking towards november uh, december release but uh, even at this point now it's looking as it's not going to happen the fact is that um Episode one was the only complete episode that's still in colour, 100%. Everything else was either on 16mm black and white or a uh, never-twice-the-same-colour NTSC <laughs> mix from uh, from the United States. So um, it's a sort of thing of having to restore um, most of the episodes there. So uh, you've literally got four episodes that need heavy rest- restoration and it's taken the most work out of them. So it was originally scheduled for a release this year. They didn't have an exact date for a release, but it was supposed to be the later half of or the later later part of this year. So now that's going to be bumped back to next year, 2012, instead of 2011. Oh, dear. Oh, well. Well, I guess it's better that they get it right than, you know, release uh, in, you know, a, a subpar edition. Right. Oh, why? They're releasing... Uh, <coughs> <laughs> Uh, my least favourite story this year. Oh, no, 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 please don't let it out. Oh, Paradise Towers. <laughs> well, eventually they're going to have to release it. <laughs> you know, oh, we all have our episodes or stories that are not on the top of our list, and but eventually they need to be released. Uh, I'll, I'll quote the fifth doctor on this one. Oh, Belgium. <laughs> Which um is a isn't that a, that's a reference to well actually no that it's if that's the second doctor that's a, predates the Hitchhiker's Guide. No fifth doctor. Oh fifth doctor. Hmm. Okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> and you we're, shouldn't have taken that typist to the bar. <laughs> now we know we're in the oh, newsroom. Yeah. 
So, uh, but what we don't know is where's the TARDIS? And that's a new promotion or a new um, campaign launched by, I believe, BBC America that's looking for your homemade TARDIS. doesn't have to be a full-size TARDIS. It could be a birdhouse, could be whatever you construct out of um, any materials that are at hand. And you can enter this, I guess, a competition, really, to... Uh, and, and when I say enter, I mean take a photo or a video of it and uh, submit it, and then it will be judged on most original design of a TARDIS. It's going to be judged on most creative use of materials and most uh, creative placement in public in a public location, which I think is going to be really interesting once you have a TARDIS, you know, put it somewhere in public and photograph it. That would be really cool, especially if it's full size. <laughs> and, uh, and unfortunately, they're judging by most Facebook likes, which I don't understand because uh, not everyone's on Facebook. So, and, uh, you know, it should be if, if they're taking a vote online, it should be constrained to uh, their site and not on um, not, not collecting Facebook likes. Yeah, it's going to constrain it to only 800 million voters. Well, not everyone is on Facebook. As big as Facebook is, it's still not the Internet. And why direct traffic to Facebook when it's uh, BBC America? It has nothing to do with Facebook. It's where the TARDIS is. Oh, we should give the the web address. It's wheresthetardis.com is the web address. And, yeah. and we hear uh, Tara Wheeler is having some trouble accessing the site for some reason. So if you are having trouble accessing the site, I guess keep trying. Well, it's certainly working in my Firefox browser. Mm. It's either that we're going to have to hit it with a bigger hammer. <laughs> and uh, just to... I should have actually mentioned while we're talking about National Television Awards, um, look out on YouTube because there's bound to be a version of the three-minute opening because it's Matt Smith who's taking the actual presenter of the awards, Dermot O'Leary. Uh, he was actually getting him to the O2 Arena. So we're inside the TARDIS and there's a oh, really? funny little sketches. Yeah, it's about a three-minute little video. So I'm sure that'll be on YouTube by the time this episode goes out. Well, speaking of YouTube, the Where's the Tartars campaign has there has a YouTube video that introduces it. So let's, um, this is, well, this is an audio podcast, so you're not going to see the video, but here's the audio. Are you tired of being stuck in the same old time and place? Sick of relying on boring old books to learn about history? Have you been consumed by a crack in the universe and erased completely from existence? Well, close that crack. The Tartars has your back. Nothing will ever be the same again. Now you can transcend time and space. It's simple. Just imagine your world a little more sonic with your very own brand new or ancient TARDIS. My husband and I used to always argue about where to go on vacation. Now we just go to Alfalba Matraxis. Talk about a breath of fresh air. A 1747 Bordeaux is the perfect pairing for fish fingers and custard. Trust me. I volunteered to help the druids put up Stonehenge. Do you know it's really a- But wait, there's more. Act now and we'll throw in a handsome emergency wormhole assistance kit. This limited time offer has never been seen before in this dimension. When and where will you go? Go to wheresthetardis.com. Wormhole assistance kit contains no physical material. Vortex manipulator, sentient heart, and swimming pool not available. (laughs) Oh, anybody who managed to get a picture of the Tardis at Stonehenge is going to (laughs) win. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So um, they have some pictures there at the website now. I haven't been there recently, but there were a couple of weeks ago. There were some interesting pictures there. So hopefully, um, check it out. They'll be posting more pictures, and um, I'm not sure when when the cutoff date is. Um, let me have a look. Uh, it's not on the first page. We should also mention that the one that wins wins a chance to win a private Doctor Who screening event. They don't say what event it is. It could be Doctor Who Live, perhaps. I don't know. But a Doctor Who screening event. Well, screening probably most likely with a new series. Probably maybe a special screening with the new series. And over 100 Doctor Who DVDs. Right. The competition began on the 25th of December 2010 and ends on May 15th at 11.59pm. Wow. So that's that's a long competition. That's almost a half a year. I didn't realize it was that long. Wow. 
Okay, I know someone's going to say jokes about that last line. <laughs> yes, well, you could skip to the end in the TARDIS. Well, there are some fixed points in time that you can't mess about with, and those are competition entry dates. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have new announcements to make as far as actors appearing in the next series of Doctor Who, and to that end, there's... Uh, well, it hasn't been an official announcement, but through various talent agencies and whatnot, it's been brought forward that there's four new uh, actors and actresses that are named f- to be appearing in the next series. And they are, well, first is um, Charlie Baker, which is a stand-up comedian I'm not familiar with, but then again, I'm not in the UK. So he's going to be playing a character named, or a character, so I don't know what his name is, but he's going to be referred to as Fat Man. That was um, according to his page at Debbie Allen Associates. And Baker, you may have seen him in the IT crowd, and he was also a panelist on Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Yeah, it looks a little bit like Jack Black in that photo. I certainly don't remember him. Not that much of a memorable person. But then you've got uh, his counterpart, I should imagine, uh, Vic Murray, uh, talent agent, also uh, lists sold star Dan Johnston as playing the thin man in the episode. Uh, yeah, we have a fat man and a thin man. Hmm. <laughs> Is this Lauren Hart? <laughs> I know, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> Hello? And then, uh, lastly, two child actresses, Fern Dukan and Frances Duncan. Duncan. Is it Duncan? Yeah. Uh, Frances Ensel. Duncan. Uh, D-U-N-C-K-A. Yeah, okay. On my notes here, I I must have lost an Yeah, they've got the name on the picture and in the text differently, spelled differently. Ah, there you go. And Frances Ensel have contributed voice work for the upcoming series, according to Spotlight. So... Yeah, so child actors, it's, yeah, yeah. You don't know them until you see them. And, the, the, and you won't see them because... The looks a little bit like the young Amelia. She. Well, I don't think... It, since they said voice work, I'm assuming we're not going to see them. We're just going to hear them. Mm. Spooky voices. Oh, dear. <laughs> Though they have the, um, the episode with that's oh not with but written by neil gaiman which is all to do with sort of horror sort of idea mm. as such so oh we'll wait and see it'll be revealed within time as everything is with doctor who <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much doctor who news now we're going to get into more well we're going to get into more doctor who Parchak news but it ties into doctor who Well, first up is Dr. Hupachuk once again is doing a meet and greet at Gallifrey 22, which is going to be actually on the eve of Gallifrey 22, which is taking place in Los Angeles next month. And our meet and greet is, as I said, it's going to be the night before the convention officially begins. So it's the 17th of February, where the convention starts on the 18th. So that night, 10 p.m., uh, at local time in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time. So we ha- we did this last year, and it was very successful. We had lots of people attend, and a few of the convention guests showed up too. Uh, most notably, Graham Harper showed up and was mingling with everyone and telling a lot of stories, uh, as, well, as well as some other convention guests too. But uh, he turned out to be a, a big crowd pleaser there. And it's just a lot of fun. It's just a chance to meet those that are involved with Doctor Who Pachak, those that are attending the convention, and um, and to meet other listeners and contributors and whatnot. And um, just it's a relaxed time. We're going to be doing some recording there, as we did last year. Last year we had Louis Bailey there from the Happiness Patrol. He was uh, in attendance and he played a little of his ukulele ukulele there as well, and we had a lot of fun. Now is he the chap that keeps kidnapping Ken Deep? I don't yes. know. <laughs> I didn't yes. know he fancied Jim him. has wondered. <laughs> so, yes, if you're going to Gallifrey, be sure to check it out. It's a day before Gallifrey begins. And the day of, well, not the day of, but the convention itself, once again, Dr. Pachak is, as you probably know, already is taking the stage once again for a live recording of Dr. Pachak. And there's been some changes since our last episode, and that those changes are now Jacqueline Pierce famous from Blake 7 but also of the two doctors he pl- she played 
Jacini from in, in the two doctors. Greg or something. And then on Blake Seven, she played the villainous Servalan, and she's going to be a honored guest there. And we're very delighted to have her on our show. It's so you know, Jacqueline Pierce is one of the actresses that we've been trying to get on Doctor Who Podcast for a while. So uh, we couldn't be more more delighted to have her. Also added is Tracy Simpson, who started off as a production manager on Doctor Who when it returned in 2005, and then in 2009 or 2009, she became Doctor, a Doctor Who producer up until last year. So, well, also uh, Ian McNeese, who played Winston Churchill in the most recent series of Doctor Who, and uh, that's going to be a laugh and a half. Um, he's such a from, from everything that I've seen and heard of the man. He's that's going to be quite a. A quite a good time for all. Really, uh, he's very a very approachable person and a very nice person indeed. Uh, well, I, I know he was recently at Chicago Tardis. I wasn't in attendance, so I haven't met him before. So it's going to be um, it's going to be fun. Yeah, just don't ask about Ace Ventura. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm sure I won't. <laughs> was was he in that film? He's in the second one. Oh, okay. Uh, it's not one of my favorite films, so I'll. <laughs> I won't. I didn't even know he was in it. Uh, next up is Kush Jumbo, which, which she played Lois Hababa in uh, um, Torchwood Children of Earth, and uh, you, she had a quite a sizable part in that as well. And if you haven't seen Children of Earth, you really should see it. As far as announced guests, last but not least is Paul Casey, who's the man behind the mask in Doctor Who and the Sarah Jane Adventures. So he's played a lot of the monsters and aliens and you might not know him by his face but you <laughs> he has many uh, stories to tell i'm sure yeah if you've seen a monster on any of the programs he's usually the first one in the suit whether it be jadoon cyberman well apart from daleks of course uh, but uh he's done all sorts of stuff including the um of my least favorites um Oh, big farty type things. I eh? see. I can't remember what they're called. I, I I like. I dislike them that much. I can't remember what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> At least he wasn't an Ace Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But uh, you know. But uh, now here's something to keep you all guessing, though. There's two surprise Doctor Who guests outside of the schedule yes, for the convention. Yes. Yes. So once again, uh, we are uh, having two unannounced well they're announced but they just we're not just giving there's no names given out but they're two special Doctor Who guests one which um well both of them have never been on Doctor Who they haven't been on our live show on stage before and uh, one of them um hasn't even been at a convention to my understanding before so I believe I could be mistaken, but I, I think that's the case. So it's um, pretty interesting, and you'll have to uh, wait and see who the, who these two surprise guests are. Again, as Graham said, they're not part of the scheduled lineup, so they're extra guests that if you're attending the convention that you won't uh, see elsewhere. Wow. They're first at a convention, and they're starting at the top on Doctor Who Podshock. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see what the problem about being at the top is. <laughs> well, you get nosebleeds. It's a long way up there. <laughs> oh. Okay. Vertigo. <laughs> well, and rounding out the Doctor Who Pachak news is if you can't get to Gallifrey, which is next month in Los Angeles, and I'm speaking to two that here that that unfortunately won't be at Gallifrey, but. Hopefully they will be at our next meetup, which is next month, the week after Gallifrey on Second Life, which means that on you know there, there's no boundaries as long as you have access to the internet and broadband, you know internet access and a fairly modern computer, you can uh, sign up for Second Life. It's free and um, join us. And we meet regularly, seasonally, on Second Life in the land of Katrina, which is uh, the Doctor Who experience. And it's going to be um, our next one is going to be the weekend after February. That it's either going to be the 26th or the 27th. That's a Saturday or a Sunday. The, the actual date will be announced fairly soon. And we invite you all to attend. Like I said, there's no there's no charge. There's no hotel involved. There's no flights to book. All you need to do to do is uh, get on your computer and join us. 
Put it in front of it, better said. Yes. Well, you could sit, sit on, on it if you like. It might keep you warm if you got a, a Mac Mini or something like that. Just be careful. My Mac Mini, I'll break it. Well, like I said, be careful. <laughs> but, the, yeah, just a, a do, 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 addendum. Um, <laughs> news just in. 2011 series Australia transmission dates. ABC in Australia, that's ABC One, have confirmed they plan to screen the 2011 series of Doctor Who shortly after the series is screened in the UK. The plan was confirmed by uh, Brendan Darhill, a network programme for ABC One, in an interview with TV Tonight. Brendan actually goes on to say, I can't tell you the date yet because the BBC haven't told me what the date they're transmitting yet. But... We're going to close to the uh, going close to the UK transmission again. Uh, Australians are great downloaders, and they don't want to wait until Easter to see a Christmas episode. So, if we can get it out straight away, we will. The Christmas special will show in Australia on Boxing Day evening. Quite literally, well, when we worked it out, it was quite literally less than six hours after it was shown in the UK. So, you know, it's pretty good. So. Uh, it says here less than 24 hours before, after it's uh, made its debut on BBC One, but it was actually six hours. Uh, BBC America has also indicated, which can mean that he's pointing left or right, whoever's in charge there, uh, it will screen the uh, 2011 series within hours of its UK broadcast, which means, uh, you know, not only are they trying to one-up somebody, but uh, actually trying to do the decent thing and get the programme out there within a couple of hours to a reasonable time schedule appropriate to the United States. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll be right back with some interviews, which are kind of appetizer for Gallifrey 22. This is Tommy Knight, and you're listening to Doctor Who Podshock. Well, if you are going to Gallifrey 22 next month, it's a long journey there for most people, unless you happen to be lucky and you you live very close to Gallifrey 22 in Los Angeles. Otherwise, probably most of the attendees are traveling from elsewhere, be it from across the country or from other countries. And that means air flights and long drives and, well, well if you're lucky, you, you can get into a Type 40 TARDIS and just materialize there, but most of us uh, don't have that luxury. But... If you are traveling, one of the great ways to pass that traveling time is through audiobooks if you're not listening to podcasts. And one of the great providers of audiobooks is Audible, and they are a leading provider of digital audiobooks with over 75,000 titles to choose from in every genre, be it business, thrillers, history, science, science fiction, well, everything that you probably can imagine, they have it. So uh, Audible content is compatible with your iPhones, iPods, well, MP3 players, over 500 devices for listening anytime, anywhere, even on airplanes. So to um, to entice you to check them out, we usually kind of pick a Doctor Who title, and one of the ones that we're selecting right now is uh, Doctor Who, The Jade Pyramid. And I should mention that Audible is giving you a listeners of Doctor Who Podshock a chance to check out their service to get a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial and this could be your selection, or you could choose anything they, they have there available. Uh, the Jade Pyramid is written by Martin Day, and it's narrated by none other than Matt Smith, who did not win the television awards tonight, but <laughs> be that as it may. This is an 11th Doctor story, obviously, which features, um, uh, as I said, Matt Smith, and uh, his companion is Amy Pond. And, well, let's hear a little bit from it right now. Sidri Sada woke suddenly, as if from a nightmare. However, as he lay in the darkness, he realized that he could remember nothing of his dream, nor had any noise or other intrusion disturbed him. Nevertheless, something had roused him from sleep. Sidri reached for a thick robe, pulled it around his shoulders and padded over to the window. His gaunt fingers parted the bamboo slats, and he watched the pale colors of dawn washing over the sloping roofs and ordered pathways of the village. And yet, at the back of his mind, and at the pit of his stomach, the resting place of his soul, he felt a pressure, a sense of dread. He knew all was not well. Something was coming. CG wanted to share his unease, but no one else was up. No one human, at any rate. 
for the gods never rested, and Sidhu knew just the place where he might express his concerns. Moments later, Sidhu was ascending the mountainside, following the little track to the shrine. Over decades, the path had been worn down into the soil so that it was now surrounded by raised banks of grass. He wondered how many people had trod this route before him, what their reasons had been for following the twisted trail to the shrine, and what fate had eventually befallen them. The shrine, with its sloping roof and red doors and columns, emerged suddenly from the mist, edged by plum trees thick with scented pink and white blossom. The shrine seemed to glow in the gathering light. Siju stepped past a pair of ox statues and was making his way through the large Torii gates when he heard voices, strange voices, brought to his ears by the gentle, fragranced breeze. Never been to Japan before, a woman's voice, young, brimming with optimism and humour. And they say I don't know how to show people a good time. A man's voice, there was an even tone to his words, and he sounded at first as young as his companion. But the more Siju listened, the more he wondered if the gentle smoothness of his voice was that of a pebble dropped into the sea, and polished and rounded by centuries of time and tide. Tokyo would have been nice, though, continued the woman. You know, modern, a city with amenities. There was a pause in their footsteps. Was the man consulting a map? It's not called Tokyo yet, and it's miles away, and it's so not the capital. They started walking again, scattering stones and scree. Clearly, they weren't interested in stealth and subterfuge, and yet their accents, their very words, marked them out as outsiders. Siju had encountered traders and officials from the outlying provinces before, but none behaved like this. They weren't just outsiders. They were alien. Relatively speaking, medieval Japan is a paragon of sophistication, said the man. You'll be fine. Another pause. Distress signal's a bit weak, but the source is constant. Well, that gives you a taste of it there. You can download this as your free audiobook by going to audiblepodcast.com slash arttrap. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash arttrap, A-R-T-T-R-A-P, for your free audiobook. And what's great about audio books and audio stories, I should say that this was written by um, by um, uh, Martin Day, and it was written specifically for this audio drama. So it's what's good, great about that is that you can really take advantage of the audio experience. And what's great about audio dramas is that you could, outside of budgetary con- concerns and constraints, you can go to Japan or anywhere else. So this is a, a great story, you know, taking place in medieval Japan, which um, you don't really get to see that often on Doctor Who. All right, well, we are coming, as we said earlier, to Gallifrey 22 next month, and I should make a reminder, if you go to our website, podshock.net or gallifreynembassy.org, there's uh, links, uh, there's a banner on the bottom there, and there's uh, you can click on the store there, and you can get a Doctor Podshock shirt that you can wear at Gallifrey. It's uh, available now. If you order now, you'll have it in time for next month, so just a, a heads up there if you want to be sporting a Doctor Who Pachak shirt at Gallifrey, go to our website and place your order now. And I guarantee if you wear it, you'll probably get a handshake from either Ken Deep or Mr. Louis Trapani. That's right, and maybe um, maybe more than a handshake. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe a photographic. A jelly baby is what I was saying, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well... Let's uh, whet your appetite even more. We have a couple interviews. We're going into our vault once again, and we're presenting a few interview. Well, a couple interviews here of two guests that are scheduled to appear at Gallifrey 22. One is Sarah Sutton, and the other is Matthew Waterhouse. And what's interesting for me is that I haven't seen either of these in some time. In fact, over 25 years now. Matthew Waterhouse was the first person I've ever interviewed that was directly connected to Doctor Who, and uh, we um, interviewed him for the Gallifrey Embassy newsletter way back in, well, summer of 1985, and I saw um, Sarah Sutton somewhere around that time as well. I can't remember exactly when. It could have been 86, but it's still been um, a good, you know, quarter of a century since I last see them, so it's going to be interesting seeing and uh, speaking with them again. And um, I'll quiz Matthew Waterhouse if he remembers our interview. (laughs) (laughs) These interviews are from Charles Rabb Productions. They were on a radio station that no longer exists anymore. So, but we have his consent to uh, to play them, and we're very grateful for that. So, uh, without any further ado, let's uh, let's first hear from Sarah Sutton. 
My guest is Sarah Sutton from the program Doctor Who, at least at one time. Yes, once. <laughs> How did you get involved with uh, Doctor Who? I was sent up for an audition by my agent, um, and I met John Black, who directed the first story, and John Nathan Turner, the producer. And um, a few days later, they called and said I'd got the part, but I didn't know then that the character was going to be carried on. I thought it was just for that one story. And sure enough, the character was carried on. That's right. I had played Nissa for two years. From a one shot to go to two years, didn't that uh, kind of lock you into a role for a while? Yes, they didn't. I didn't. They didn't suddenly say, "Right, you'll be doing this for two years." I had two separate contracts, so rather three contracts: a contract for the first story, and then contracted for the second season, and then contracted for the final season that I did. So it was in bits and pieces. It wasn't exactly. I didn't. I didn't know then that I would be doing it for two years. Do you think you could tell the audience a little about your character? Yes, I play an alien, not an Earth person, and she's of noble birth, uh, quite a sort of regal character, um, a princess in many ways, uh, very intelligent. She's a bioelectronics expert and a cyberneticist and uh, all sorts of things like that, so she's quite smart. My co-host is Joel Spivak, science fiction expert from the city of Philadelphia. Joel, let me turn this over to you. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, Sarah, one question I have. Did you have any kind of science fiction interest uh, prior to playing the Doctor Who show? Um, no, I'm not really a science fiction buff. I mean, I, I did enjoy watching Star Trek. We had it on television in England, and I used to enjoy watching that. But I can't say I'm the type that rushes out to the latest science fiction movie. I, I, there are other things I prefer before science fiction, funnily enough, besides Doctor Who, that is, of course. Did your involvement uh, doing the show give you any kind of interest in watching the Doctor Who show after you were over? Yes, I, I do try and keep up with it now. I certainly watched um, when Peace Davison finished and uh, Colin Baker took over. That was Sarah Sutton, and this is Matthew Waterhouse. Hi, I'm Chuck Rabb. My guest is Matthew Waterhouse. My co-host is the science fiction expert from Philadelphia, Joel Spivak. Matthew, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you here. Thank you. I know that you've done various kinds of roles, usually uh, dramatic, theatrical. <laughs> yes. Including a presence of a companion to the doctor in Doctor Who. You mentioned to me before the interview that you answered an ad in the newspaper to uh, become the companion. How did that Yeah. Happen? Um... It wasn't actually had, it was just an article on, you know, they have those kind of television gossip pages in newspapers, and it was just mentioned in an article there that they were looking for what they described as an artful dodger. Um, and I thought, well, that'd be great, that'd be kind of ideal. So I went and uh, got in touch with the producer as a result of, of, of that article and did a reading for him. Had you had any kind of interest in the Doctor Who show uh, prior to reading that uh, Oh, certainly, yes. Um, when people ask me the kind of what kind of things influenced you as a kid, I usually <laughs> cite Mark Twain, and I usually say, well, I used to read Ray Bradbury and all that. But the truth of the matter that is, like, like most people, I, I had a, an insatiable appetite for, for what I describe as the trash factor, um, <laughs> which doesn't necessarily mean it's rubbish, but just means that it isn't Dostoevsky. And, uh, and when I was growing up in the 60s, Doctor Who, at least the Daleks, the Doctor's main enemy, became a national craze. Uh, and really it was a setup whereby if you were too young to appreciate the Beatles in the mid-60s and it followed, you were into the Daleks. And that was the kind of thing that children were into before they really got into the Beatles. And uh, I had a million Dalek toys. I had all these kind of... They, they had Dalek toys about as big as your hand, with, with little... Uh, or bearings in them that you pushed along, and they did Dalek slippers, and Dalek wallpaper, and Dalek soap, and Dalek bedspread, and, uh, and anything that you can cite, they probably did a Dalek version of it. So that I was very conscious of it all the time, that any kid growing up in the 60s was inevitably conscious of Doctor Who, because we were all surrounded by assorted Dalek merchandise, rather like the way kids nowadays all have Star Wars toys. Except in the case of Doctor Who, of course, it was a, a, a national craze, not international. It didn't reverberate around the world mm, in the same way. Oh, so Doctor Who toys. Uh, what happened to mine? I've probably still got them, the truth is. Um, I have stories. Yeah, lots of people here in this country are real interested in knowing what kind of merchandise existed. Mm. We're uh, consumer crazy in the United States. Uh, <laughs> our whole system is based <laughs> on consumption. and uh, It's all run by Daleks, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> so they have a little factory on the New City Hall. 
but uh, <laughs> there really hasn't been a lot of uh, knowledge uh, written anywhere, even in the Doctor Who monthlies, pertaining to all this uh, wealth of merchandise. I'm sure flooded the market through yeah, the sixties. Yeah, it was more to do with the Daleks than with Doctor Who itself. And in fact, when the show started, you see, it wasn't all that well watched, I believe. Um, but suddenly the Daleks came on and the audience went up by something like three times. I mean, it increased something like 10 million, which is a huge audience in Britain. Uh, but whenever the Daleks weren't in it, it sagged back down to three or four million. So that um, in the 60s in Britain, certainly in the mid-60s when that Dalek craze started, the interest was in the Daleks themselves more than in the, uh, in the Doctor. But... Uh, but, but it meant that one was aware of Doctor Who, and it was in every kid's consciousness. Uh, I think that one perhaps forgets just how huge it was for a while there. Right, but actually the Daleks became uh, more popular than the Doctor at that time. Well, the, the Daleks were the merchandisable thing. I mean, you, there's only so much merchandising you can do with William Hartnell. I mean, you can't make William right. Hartnell dolls. But the Daleks are ideal things. You can make everything. They look like pepper For those who aren't familiar with Daleks, look like they look like kind of pepper pots and have spots down the side and, and uh, laser beam and all that kind of stuff. And they're infinitely merchandisable. My guest is Matthew Waterhouse. My co-host is Joel Spivak. I'm Chuck Rapp. Matthew, when you look back at the character that you played, could you tell the audience a little about the character, starting with the name and also that he wore the same clothes every episode? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't actually. He had a night, two identical suits. So that when one was in the wash, he could um, put on another one and no one would know it wasn't the same one. That's my answer anyway to that, about the clothes. Um, well, he was an alien from, as we've discussed, another universe called... We haven't made out whether it was E or N space, but it was one of those spaces anyway, um, where he was born. And uh, he stowed away aboard Doctor Who's time machine, the TARDIS, um, in a fit of emotion when he saw his brother shot down before his eyes or something similarly heart-rending, and that led him to want to get away from his planet, and so he stowed away and travelled with Doctor Who for I don't know how long. About and he didn't have a last episodes. name, I remember. No, Adric was the only... He only don't have a last name. Alien. It's funny, isn't it? It's funny and that on all these... Ash, uh, what was his name? And uh, Even in Tom Corbett, the alien, he had uh, a single name. It's funny, all these... Highly sophisticated alien race haven't come up with the idea of a surname yet. Matthew, is there anything about the role of Adric that you liked and anything that you didn't like? Um, well, uh, the scripts uh, tend not to be written with an awesome amount of thought for character in mind. Whatever kind of companion you are, however different you're supposed to be, however much you're not going to be like all the other companions that have gone before you. After about four episodes, you end up saying the same lines, which is, please explain, Doctor. What's <laughs> happening, Doctor? And why? And the number of times I ask why, uh, is uncountable. But why, Doctor? Something like that. Um, so that was a bit irritating, repeating the same lines week in and week out. The only thing one had to learn when one got a new script, one didn't have to learn any lines, one just had to remember the order in which they came. Now, if you could only figure out how to ask an explanation from the doctor in 35 different new ways, yes. you'd have it made. Well, that's right, yes, yes, I ought to do that. I ought to write the best Doctor Who script ever if I could work out 35 different ways of asking to explain things. Please explain, Doctor. Doctor, will you please explain? Please, Doctor, will you explain? <laughs> explain, will you please, Doctor? As you look at those different explanations and you look at the explanations of your character, why is that character there? Can you come up with a good reason of why your well, character was there? Well, the sidekick serves the purpose of asking the doctor questions. It, that's the reason they have a sidekick there. And the reason uh, it's not always a dumb blonde is because uh, one we get bored with dumb blondes. Or yeah, dumb wouldn't. blondes are bankable, though. <laughs> yeah, dumb blondes are bankable, yeah. Uh, but the advantage of the BBC is one doesn't have to be outrageously commercial. That's one of the things that you can get away with by it being a, a subsidised television company, corporation. Is there something that you think that Edward gave to the Doctor Who presence? Um, yeah, he he got on extremely well with Doctor Who for a while, the man himself, um, for, for a while, which is a very warm kind of setup, which was quite sweet. Um, the Doctor, because, you see, the Doctor saw a lot of himself in Edward. I mean, the Doctor must have been an absolutely unbearable kid. And can you imagine what an unbearable person he must have been as a 10-year-old? was a 15-year-old. 
uh, I think he saw a lot of himself in, 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 in Adric. A lot of, because the doctor's still a reckless man. He would have been reckless when he was a teenager. So, not, and he had about the same intellect as Adric. I mean, he acknowledged that Adric was I mean, his intellectual equal, potentially. I mean, he was a mathematical genius. So that, um, but also the insecurity and the complete lack of common sense sometimes, that they would have been elements that he himself would have had as a kid. And that built up quite a nice kind of relationship, which was quite sweet. Matthew Waterhouse, if you were to play a role that would be uh, involved in science fiction, gosh, it's a shame that Shakespeare never wrote science fiction. <laughs> what kind of role would you have uh, someone write for you? Uh, that's a very difficult question. Um, one can't ask, answer such nebulous questions. It's easier to, to specify a type of role and say whether that's interesting. Uh, something I'd, like, I'd love to, 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 to do is something about Brad, by Bradbury. Brad, not right now, I'm too young and everything, but uh, Bradbury is the most astounding writer um, for actors. He's an incredible writer. He wrote script for film of his own novel, Something Wicked This Way Comes, which was the most poetic and wonderful script. It's the most poetic novel as well. And Bradbury, I'd open my door to any time. Genius. Every time you go to a carnival, you think of Ray Bradbury. Bradbury. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> the only unfortunately, the only time Bradbury, to my knowledge, had ever been near television, they screwed it up disastrously. Did something called the Martian Chronicles, which was an extreme... Hey, that had Rock Hudson, don't knock uh, it. <laughs> actually, uh, in comparison to what we think of Good and bad TV in the United States that was considered very good. Really? Yes, TV in the United oh, States. Oh, well, compared to the novel, I mean, it's just so. Well, have you watched phenomenal. a lot of American TV since you've been here? I, I watched, <laughs> I watched um, a preacher this morning. I watched something <laughs> called Peter. I've forgotten his name. Peter Poppet or something, being really outraged and healing all these people. And you have this slow motion shot of this woman who got out of her wheelchair and everything. Um, well, I wonder if I've seen that program. Well, that was Sandler's healing, faith healing program. With instant replay. They keep asking, with for, they keep asking for money afterwards. Oh, yeah, uh, you get all these free shows. things, but you're supposed to lend, send what he called a love gift of at least $10 <laughs> for your free book. Because he would love to have it. <laughs> <laughs> you get some time, you should watch uh, some prime time TV here in the United States. Well, we get a lot of those programs in, in England. I mean, we That's get right, the you've A-team. got Auto Man now in England. We've got Auto Man, yeah, and the A-Team, and uh, popular over there. So the A-Team is very popular. The A-Team is huge in Britain, yes. I have to say, I don't really see the appeal of it. Mm -hmm. Auto Man, I, I liked his outfit. I liked the special effects for Auto Man. In fact, Auto Man was a better series than, than, um, than a lot of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. than they uh, cancelled Auto Man here. And, uh, Did they? Because it wasn't very successful very and it's a very popular That was very movie. popular in Britain. All the ones that are any good in America get cancelled. Mm -hmm. Funny that, isn't it? Right. Yeah, Americans don't like good TV. If it's too good, we have to take it off. To get it, yeah. <laughs> it competes with the commercials. It might subvert the mind of the great American heart, man. Well, there you have it. That was uh, Matthew Wardhouse, and before him, Sarah Sutton. They're both uh, scheduled to appear at Gallifrey 22 next month, and uh, we're looking forward to that. And we also want to thank, once again, Chuck Rabb, who you heard in that interview, and Rabb Productions Incorporated for allowing us uh, permission to... Um, to share this with this vintage interview with you. Both interviews are dating back to the mid-80s. Also, thanks to Moham on our site, podchock.net, the Dr. Who Podchock website, for digitalizing the analog recording for us. It's good stuff here. We've, now we know Adric had two outfits that he changed. <laughs> when one was in the wash, he was wearing the other. They're identical, but... <laughs> yes, well, rubber pajamas can get her all a bit sticky, can't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my complaint with John Nathan Turner. He introduced a lot of you know positive changes to the series, but the one thing which... Um, I, I actually, in one of our interviews that I had with him, I, I, I asked him about it, but he sort of kind of brushed it off and denied it that they were using uniforms. It was, essentially, they became Doctor Who uniforms once he came on board, where, you know, uh, his first, as producer, uh, Tom Baker was still the lead in the role, and he got that burgundy outfit, which he kind of wore in every episode 
he didn't change it at all in that first series of uh, with um John JNT at the helm and it seemed like all the other characters got into um a uniform as well it was a while before even Tegan got out of her stewardess um outfit so yeah indeed but Amy Putnam's complained that she was in her nightdress for a while god <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we must remember, I mean, both Matthew and Sarah were, I think, uh, their youngest companions, female and male, in Doctor Who, certainly in the classic series, yeah. both born uh, within a week of each other in 1961. And uh, just a connection with what we were talking about earlier, uh, with Matthew, um, in 1996, he made the science fiction pilot drama Ghostlands, for MJTV Productions and played the character Tom alongside actors Sylvester McCoy and Jacqueline Pierce. Really? Wow. <laughs> I wonder if there was unlimited amounts of rice pudding. <laughs> yeah, it's always a good thing when it is. Yeah, so he was, uh, speaking about the youngest, uh, going back to this interview, you, know, you can tell by his voice he's still very young here. He's probably in his early 20s, so um, I would expect his, um, you know, maybe you'll hear a different voice next month, but... It's um, something to look forward to. Sounds good. Yeah. It'd be nice to get a, a clean interview with him once again, because most of the interviews I've heard so far have been quite literally in the past uh, or in later times. Yeah. The quality just wasn't that good. So it'd be nice to hear a nice uh, pod shock quality interview. Well, hopefully we'll deliver that. We obviously he's not one of the guests that we have on our live show, but we try to get interviews with all the guests that are there, so a time allowing and their schedule permitting. So uh, we'll have. Well, I'm hoping to have Matthew Waterhouse just to become full circle because, as I said, we this all started with Matthew Waterhouse <laughs> in a sense. Oh, I'm sorry that I got to laugh. That is a bad joke, isn't it? <laughs> full circle, yes. Yes. <laughs> It's a very inside baseball or inside Doctor Who, I should say, reference there. Yeah, we're getting a bit three to doomsday. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on, I started off with the uh, the Burt Quok joke, so um, yeah, <laughs> we are quite literally going full circle. Well, this Gallifrey is a very Peter Davison-centric Gallifrey because we have Sarah Sutton there, we have uh, Matthew Waterhouse there, of course we have Peter Davison there, and um, and Janet Fielding. So it's kind of reuniting that whole early era of Peter Davison. Yes, we just need to get, when Peter Davison's up on stage, just need to get the entire audience uh, to sing a theme, chung, a theme tune to Butter Moon uh, just to make it complete. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure he doesn't have his shotgun with him. <laughs> oh, shotgun wedding. So, yeah, so that's it. That's um, once again, uh, thanks to all those that are involved. And we're looking forward to bringing you some fresh new interviews. But it, this was a little bite of the past to kind of whet your appetite for next month. And uh, next up on Doctor Who Podshock, well, hopefully soon we'll have our preview episode of Doctor Who, of Gallifrey 22. I know for those that aren't going, maybe you're getting tired of hearing about Gallifrey 22. So, you know, it's we'll have coverage from that convention. So even if you're not there, hopefully we can make it so that you feel like you're there. So um, and it's still Doctor Who stuff. So it's hopefully that's still pertinent to you and and you enjoy what we deliver. So. Yeah, I bet you can't believe that the year has come around so quickly. It's, un yeah, it, it comes too quickly. <laughs> it's just, it feels like we just, you know, finished our coverage of Gallifrey and now it's here again. But it's um it's all good stuff and it's exciting and I just uh, just you know like any annual event when it happens again it just it's a reminder that another year has gone by so it's um it's that sort of thing it's, it's 22 years now for Gallifrey. Wow, for Catch 22, how apt? Yes, yeah, that's the. That each year they have their own like catchphrase or uh, a subtitle for the convention and this year is uh, Catch 22, Islands of Mystery. Hmm. That's a good job they didn't plan it for the 22nd of February because that would have been a Tuesday. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yes, um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's great. Um, I mean, everybody's banging on that. Oh, Gallifrey's coming, Gallifrey. But the, the fact is, is what comes after Gallifrey is, uh, or basically after the convention, is, is what you get to hear. You get to hear the interviews um, and. Again, Frasier, I think Fraser Hines is, is turning up. Uh, yes, he's something. back once again. 
and um, you got all these people going. So for somebody like myself, who sat in a country that's got very little coverage for Doctor Who, this is brilliant because I don't get to meet these people. Uh, getting these people over here, yeah. Um, how much of a headache do I want to give myself? <laughs> yeah. uh, what, I, what I'd like to know, is there going to be any uh, little special gems for Podshock supporting subscribers? Well, what we did last year, we did a call out, and I'm glad you made a mention of that, Dave, because we'll do it again this year, that if you are, just let us know if you are a Doctor supporting subscriber, and if you are going to Gallifrey, just give a heads up to let us know and, and send us um, your contact info just in case there we can arrange something we can't promise anything in advance because uh, but if we can arrange maybe with a convention guest a dinner or um it could be a lunch or it could be just coffee or something like that if we can have something like that arranged where we can invite you to this whatever it is we will you know and um but we don't we can't do that unless we have your contact info and we can contact you at the convention so um please do that and as always, you know, you know, we can't get to Gallifrey without your support, and that's crucial. And the only way we can bring all of Doctor Who Ponchak to Gallifrey is, um, well, is is with your support. And you can do that by becoming a Ponchak supporting subscriber if you're not one already. And to find out and to learn how to become one, it's you can go to Ponchak.net or ArtTrap.com and click on the top there. There's a banner there on how to become a supporting subscriber. Once you do become a supporting subscriber, you'll get bonus episodes, bonus content as far as like Doctor Who extra edition episodes and we do that as you know to, to uh, show our gratitude towards those that are supporting the show and when you do, um, we also have other tokens of uh, appreciation as well. Um, when we have stuff to give away, we'll give that away to a random supporting subscriber. When we do our live shows, you get bumped up in the queue. Uh, we, we try to get some newsletters out to you uh, via email. Um, many things like that. And like I said, a special discounts for our special events. We had last November, we had a 25th anniversary event for the Gallifreyan Embassy. And if you were a supporting subscriber, you would get a 20% discount. So all stuff like that. But the main thing is that you're supporting our show and you're making it possible for us to get to Gallifrey and other conventions and, and continue doing this show. So, And if you are already a supporting subscriber... A big thank you, and I know I say that often, but it's you know it can't go without saying that we do appreciate your support and thank you so much. You make it possible. So, and if you want to support Podshock in one extra special way, go to your computer, bring up iTunes, and if you have an iPod Touch, an iPhone, or an iPad, you can find the Podshock application or the Podshock app. Yes, that's on there right. you can you can use the uh, look at the RSS feed and uh, special news that comes on there, but there's also a special little category on the right hand side as you look at it, where extra special extras mm -hmm. that are only available on this application on this app are put into that feed there. Uh, so far, there's uh, a couple of sound uh, sound bites, you know, not just a thank you, but uh, a 30 minutes extra special episode iPad. Yeah iPod Touch, iPhone episode that you can only listen to through this application. And we hope to do more next month at Gallifrey. So we may have some uh, live, well, not live, but almost live <laughs> shows that go out on the app, you know, as soon as possible that we can get out at, you know, right from Los Angeles and get those out to um, to you if you are a, um, it's the app is just another way of helping support the show and um, to let us continue doing what we're doing. It's a right. It's it's a low cost app. It's it's two ninety nine. It's available for the iOS and uh, we're hoping to get it out on Android at some point. So, um, but right now it's for the, as Graham said, the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch. And it's a, uh, so far as I remember, a universal app. That means it will work on all three, and you mm -hmm. have to download it once. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to round out the show. And once again, I want to thank you both for helping out and you filling in for both Ken and James. You've done an excellent job. And um, once again, I want to give our audience a opportunity to uh, hear more of you. So. 
let's see. Last time I had uh, Graham go first. So I think I'm going to have Dave go first right now. Dave, where can people find you? Well, usually they can find me at the Cultum Collective uh, podcast. But, of course, uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about that, the simplest way is to go to our blog site, which is cultum.com. We do live shows every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Torchwide 54821. Not just Doctor Who, we deal with all uh, sci-fi, fantasy and cult TV and films. But uh, that's the easiest way to get in touch. And if you want a Twitter, I'm Dave AC. So it's at Dave AC. You won't be sorry. So follow Dave and check out the Cultum Collective. And now we return, now we turn to the second Doctor, a.k.a. Graham Sheridan. Yes, well, if you want to read any of the latest news, you can find me on the Gallifrey Embassy, uh, where I put a blog up. And Excellent find blog. Some interesting yes. news. Great stuff. I shall put it up there. Thank you. Uh, videos and everything. And then um, moving on to Twitter. I'm at the numeral two ND Doctor. And that's where you'll find me on Twitter. And I have two podcasts of my own. The first and most important is the Professor Howe Doctor Who parody podcast, where I do a big finish style. Uh, you might have heard a little thing that I did for um, the 25th uh, stroke 5th anniversary here on Podshock, stroke uh, Gallifrey Embassy. Yes, a great uh, job at that. We were delighted to hear that. We were really taken back. You know, the, the time and effort you put into that is great stuff. So there'd be if you want to hear more of that, uh, just parodied. Uh, you can find that. That's the Professor Harry Doctor Who Parish parody podcast. Uh, my other one is the Second Doctor's podcast, spelled exactly the same way as my Twitter account. And that is basically anything that's current. Oh, what's in the opposite direction? I'll go have a look at that. Um, a bit like the Doctor looking at the Christmas tree. Uh, in the Christmas episode, A Christmas Carol. Uh, something more important, let's look in the opposite direction. But, uh, I thought yeah. that was a great little just aside there, the way the doctor's like, oh, a Christmas tree. It's like, oh, tree. That's not, that's not typical. It's like, look, shiny. <laughs> oh, what was the other bit? Squirrel. Oh, buttons. Lots of shiny buttons. Now, give me a couple of minutes and a crayon. <clears throat> <laughs> Ah, yes. Great stuff. And the DVD's available now. That's right. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode of Doctor Who Podshock, be sure to check out Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. The latest episode, episode 10, has Graham Sheridan and Dave Cooper joining me as we discuss news about Torchwood, Red Dwarf, Outcast, Doctor Who, and we also have a discussion about Danger Mouse. He's the greatest. So check it out. The latest episode of Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi is available now on the feeds. You can go and find it in iTunes. You can also find it at arttrap.com. And speaking of arttrap.com, you'll also find the latest Sonic News drivers there. If you want to keep up with Doctor Who news, Doctor Who related news, I do another podcast called The Sonic News Driver. So you can keep up to date on Doctor Who news in between Doctor Who Podshock episodes. And check it out again on iTunes or at arttrap.com. Well, well, thank you once again for listening to Dr. Upanchak. Stay tuned for more coming up, more coverage of Gallifrey 22, and more coverage of Dr. Who, of course. Oh, you know, as a side note, if there's something, you know, uh, we've covered we covered Gallifrey in the past, and maybe um, if there's something that we're not covering that you want to hear at the convention, um, maybe more coverage of the art show or something, the, the masquerade that they have, or anything that you feel that maybe we should um, maybe interview or discuss more, let us know. Give us some feedback. You can send feedback at feedback at net, or better yet, you can uh, contact us by using the public call box. We have a voicemail number that you can call, 206-600-6517, and leave a message for us, and you know, hopefully we'll have it. I know we've gotten some feedbacks that we still have to get to. We'll get, the, get to those as soon as possible in future episodes. But uh, we listen, even if we don't get to it on the show itself, we do listen to them all, and, um, you know, and, and hopefully we'll get to them on the show itself. But do please, you know, send us feedback and let us know and uh, we can, um, you know, deliver. 
Uh, not, not you know, not like pizza, not like the pizza deli- <laughs> delivery, but we'll. Well, we've got a delivery to make now, guys. We've got the Doctor, Sherlock, and Jean to get out of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I've got to deliver them to a taxi. Oh, look at old oh, Jean. Oh, look at the state of him. That's our Jean. Oh, really? We should end by saying pub. 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 <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, everyone. You've been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented by the fan-run Gallifreyanembassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and is presented to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible in part by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode is also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for the iOS, available in the iTunes App Store now. Something very peculiar is going on in the TARDIS.